Good morning, church. Good to see all of you here, and welcome to those who are joining us online. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus 28. <clears throat> Chapters 25 to 40, the book of Exodus, describe in detail God's prescriptions for the way the Old Testament church was to worship, what, they, what furniture they were to have, what garments the priests were to have, the, the construction of the temple, the activities, the, the sacrifices that are to be made. We're not going to study all of that in detail, so I've picked this one chapter describing the garments for the priest to summarize the big idea of all of those prescriptions. And the part of that big idea that we need to get is that God is a holy God. I read some time ago a quote by Annie Dillard who said, you know, uh, in worship we're not properly assessing the dangerous activity we're involved in. He said, we're like kids playing with a chemistry set that has the potential of creating TNT. The ushers should be handing out crash helmets and flak jackets and life preservers and safety flares because we're engaging in something very dangerous. What's our hope of coming into the presence of a holy God? Well, I want you to see it as it's contained in the description of the priest's garments. And we're only going to read verses 1 through 5 here in the Scripture reading, and then I'll refer to the others as we continue on in our study. Let's give our attention to the gospel as it comes to us in Exodus 28. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Just a note there that doesn't have anything to do with our sermon today. But that's a frequent note made in these chapters about God giving wisdom to these artisans. I want you to be encouraged in your own vocations that whatever God has given you to do, it's a spiritual gift ultimately. He gives you wisdom for doing it. God honored the vocations here among those among them, those which created the garments. Verse 4, these are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. <clears throat> oh Lord, would you open our eyes to how bad the bad news is concerning our condition before you, that our eyes may also be opened to how good the good news is. 
In Jesus' name we pray it. God's people said together, amen. <clears throat> Several hundred years after Moses wrote this in Exodus, these prescriptions for the vestments for the priest, Zechariah the prophet, one of the minor prophets we say, second to the last in the Old Testament, not because he's unimportant, but because it's a smaller book. One of the minor prophets, Zechariah, had a, had a dream of a priest named Joshua, Yeshua, who stood before God, and God viewed him in his vestments, and they were not right. Something was tragically wrong with his garments. Now, he had all of them on. Had the turban, the sash, the tunic, the breastpiece, and, and so forth. But they were dirty. No, Zechariah doesn't say they're just dirty. He says they were filthy. I hope you're not eating your breakfast by the TV screen right now. He says even worse than that. They were covered in excrement. Not only were they dirty, they were repugnant. They were horrible. They were repulsive. They were offensive. And he's standing, a priest is standing in the presence of God, represented by the angel of the Lord. He's standing in the presence of God and just missing one detail of any part of those garments would be enough to kill him in the presence of God. And here he is covered head to toe in refuse, repugnant. a dangerous thing to appear before a holy God. Now, you and I may be thinking right now, you're saying, boy, and I'm so glad. I, I know I'm a sinner, and I need to confess my sins, but I see that person on the other side of the sanctuary. I'm so glad I haven't done what he has done. Or I'm so glad I don't have the shame on myself that she has on her. I'm so glad that I'm here in church and not where my buddies are right now. I'm so glad that I am a decent, respectable citizen. I'm so glad that I'm sexually pure. I'm so glad I've never broken the speed limit. I'm so glad I helped little old ladies across the street. I'm so glad I've rescued my neighbor's cat. I'm so glad I returned wallets. Whatever you are listing, you are making yourself feel very good about who you are. And if that is what you are appealing to for your qualifications for standing before a holy God, then... Paul says, you are also covered in dung. Because Paul said about himself, he said, I was born, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I've, I was a good little boy. I was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I was of the right race. I was of the right family. And as to the law, well, I was faultless or so my, so his leaders told him. And all of that, he said, is refuse. Even our best works are bankrupt before a holy God. And God says, you must be holy as I am holy. I cannot abide anyone less than perfect. Jesus said, you must be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. I cannot abide the presence of anyone that is less than perfectly holy. What are we going to do to find protection from such a dangerous God? Well, our, 
Our text tells us, summarizing all of the Old Testament sacrifices by means of these vestments, these garments that were to be placed on, on Aaron, and therefore were representative of what the, all the people were to be. It wasn't that Aaron alone had to be holy and dressed appropriately like this, but all of the people were called to be a holy nation, a priestly nation. They were a priesthood. And uh, they were kings and priests. I want you to be holy like this. As this, is, as this is projected, this holiness projected through these vestments, I want you to be this. And what we learn as we go through the, the description of what was to be placed on Aaron, we understand that holiness is not merely something that is felt inside, a quality of one's emotions or something that is just spiritual, but it also characterizes and especially characterizes the relationships we have with one another. Let me show you how that unfolds. In verses 1 through 14, we, we are told about something that is hanging from Aaron's shoulders, this, this, uh, this breastpiece, this, this ephod. And the ephod is, and that's about, uh, we, we don't need, that's a strange word to us, and it's, it's, it's a strange word trying to, trying to capture a, a strange vestment because it's like an apron. It's not, it's not tied on the back of the neck, but it's anchored on the shoulders. Two stone, one stone on each shoulder, set in a filigree of gold, and on the stone etched six names of the tribes, and on the other, the remaining six names, all listed in birth order. And these stones set on, the, set on the shoulders of the priest anchored the, the trim by which the Ephod was held on the priest outside of his robe, outside of his tunic. And, the, and what is communicated is fairly obvious, isn't it? That as he went into the presence of God, he bore on his shoulders the burden of the people of God. So it is described in Scripture, the priest work of, of in the Old Testament and the, and the priesthood of Christ, where he, he, he's bearing on his shoulders the burdens of the people, not just their sins, but their cares and their concerns and their fears and their anxieties. He bore the children of Israel on his shoulders before the Lord. And so the first mark of holiness we find is that we are called to bear our neighbor's burdens. We're to ask what burdens you? What does it feel like to be in your body, in your condition, in your socioeconomic condition, in your skin? What does it feel like to be you? What is concerning you? What keeps you up at night? We're not called to correct the way someone is feeling or what burdens them, but rather to ask, how may, what are your burdens that I may help you to carry them? Not just to tolerate someone's burdens, but proactively to investigate them and bear them. That's a mark of holiness. And then the other piece of equipment that the, that the priest is to have is, the, is this breast piece of gold, verses 15 to 30, inset with stones, again representing the the twelve tribes of Israel, and this breastpiece is put on his chest. It's over his heart. 
and the image is obvious, isn't it? He's, he is to bear them on his heart. He is to love his people. He's to, he's to examine what, what is it that what is it that my people are burdened with, and not just to examine it, but then to feel it. It is, to, it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. It is to weep with those who weep. It is to be happy about something that is making your neighbor happy, even if it is something that you have been deprived. It is to be, it is to be burdened and, and concerned for something that, that concerns your neighbor, even though you know in your mind it's, it's trivial or it's small or it's going to work out fine, but it is to be burdened with them. It is to love them. It is to empathize. And then there's the robe described in verses 31 to 35. This is a, the seamless garment that has only a head opening. It goes under the breast piece and, and under the, uh, uh, the, 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 that, um, that chest piece that is hold, covers the heart. And this robe has a distinctive hymn pomegranates, describing beauty and fruitfulness, and, and then bells, little bells from the hem of the garment, the various theories for what those bells meant. Was it to announce that He's coming into the presence of God? Others, because this is connected with death in verse 35, that, that uh, what it meant was that because the people could not see Aaron behind the tabernacle curtain, when he's and he's offering up sacrifices and interceding, then, this, then uh, as long as the bells were ringing, they knew he was alive. If the bells quit ringing, then there was, there was a problem. He was most likely dead, and they had to figure out how to get him out of there. As long as those bells were ringing, the people knew that he was interceding. The people knew that He was holy before the Lord, so He could do that work of interceding for them. Jesus, our great high priest, in that prayer that we know from John 17, said, I sanctify myself for them. Alexander White, the great Scottish pastor, said, this is the, this is the primary distinction of what it means to be a Christian at prayer. It is to sanctify yourself. It is to set yourself apart and dedicate yourself to pray on behalf of your brothers and sisters. It is to sanctify yourself that you might pray for them. I read a story some time ago about a rabbi who was, <clears throat> who was constantly being asked by his congregation to, to, um, to pray, to pray for certain prayer requests. And one day someone asked him, how do you remember all of these prayer requests that, that, uh, that people share with you? And he said, it's not necessary for me to enumerate my requests before the Lord. Every time a request is shared with me by a member of my congregation, it wounds my heart. And so when I go into my prayer closet to pray for my people, all I have to say is, Lord, see. Lord, look at my heart. And He reads the wounds and He intercedes. He answers the prayers of my people. This is not just the calling of the minister. This is our high privilege 
to allow the wounds of our brothers and sisters to affect us in a way that by our heart, by the dedication of our life, we intercede for them. Finally, in verses 42 and 43, this is the, this is the, the head, or the, um, I'm sorry, 36 to 41, is the, is the turban, is the headpiece. It, and it, it wasn't just a, a, a wrapping of cloth, but on the front of it was, dis, it was distinguished by a gold plate inscribed with the words, holy unto the Lord. So here the priest is, is saying by this message projected outwards, he, he's He's saying only God would see that God would, he would say to God, these are your treasured people who are supposed to be holy unto you. I am making sacrifice for them. Accept my sacrifice and remember in mercy they are your treasured people. Another mark of holiness is to bear not only the burdens of our people, the daily burdens of them, but to bear their sins. It is to bear the cross. Bearing the cross is not just our own suffering, but bearing the cross is to bear the sins of our, of our brothers and sisters, the sins they commit, the sins by our neighbor who, who gets himself, herself in a lot of trouble by disastrous mistakes. It is to bear with them. It is to bear even the sins they commit against us. Now, finally, holiness is also characterized in verses 42 and 43. These garments are prescribed even down to the underwear. The undergarment is more like a men's Olympic swimsuit. It goes down to the knees, and it's set apart God's holy people from all of the pagan surrounding because they, they worshiped lewdly, grotesquely, in sexual impurity and in violence. And God said, I, I want you, not only do I require your sexual purity before me, but I require holiness down to the secret places of your heart. Nothing is to be hidden from me. Every room in your heart is to be open and submitted to my scrutiny. So that's, that's holiness. It is to bear others' burdens on your shoulders. It is to love them empathetically while you're doing it. It is to set yourself apart in intercession for them. It is to, it is to remind the Lord as you bear their sins that they are treasured people. It is to be holy in the hiddenmost parts of your heart. So that's the end of the sermon. <laughs> is that where you want it to end? Just go out and just be those things. You'll be fine. You'll be competent to stand before a holy God. If the Spirit is working in your heart, then you, like the pastor preaching to you, has you had your heart turned out inside out, and the grotesqueness, the repulsiveness of your own sin and my sin and motives turned outside. Maybe no one around you sees it. But you know it, and you know God knows it. Perhaps it's shaming. It keeps you away from God. It keeps you hidden from Him. You need to be clean. It's terrifying to have what's inside turned outside. A number of years ago, I, I had a kidney stone, and I had everything that goes along with a kidney stone. 
and I was in the restroom where that, that, uh, that all of that happens, and I passed out, and I, I fell onto a ceramic trash can. I split my head open. It wasn't a terrible wound, but it was enough in that vascular region to cover my face in blood, and, and uh, finally I was discovered, and I was taken to the hospital. Uh, Jackie was uh, Johnny on the spot, and she I don't know how she got me in the car. She rolled me or something and, and uh, dragged me, and I got into the car, and because <clears throat> she keeps a neat and tidy house and car, she told me to ride in the car like this. Opened the side window, and I went out like this. <laughs> I was unconscious. She drove me to the ER, and uh, I woke up to these words as we drove up to the ER. Hey, that's Jackie. That's my pastor's wife. And I thought, oh, what a pleasant sound. I look up with my face caked in blood and everything else that had come inside out. And I said, hi. And I only remember the nurse coming saying, oh, that's my pastor. And I never saw her again. She never told me 13 years who she was. She never identified her. I remember everybody. she had only seen me like this, covered in a, a robe and somewhat put together. Nothing like that. Inside turned out, and it was repulsive. Joshua was revealed to be covered in repulsive, repugnant filth, and the angel of the Lord, instead of saying, kill him, said, clean him up. Take away those soiled garments and dress him in new, fresh, clean garments from head to toe. That's what we need. We cannot stand before a holy God in our, our own feigned righteousness. We need the righteousness of Christ earned for us, imputed to us, and received by faith alone. Look at what He provides for us. What, how can we possibly bear on our shoulders the burdens of people around us, we should pursue them. We should seek to bear them. We will not do it perfectly. And so we need Christ who says, if you are just one of 99, one of 100, I'll leave the 99 and I'll pursue you and I will pursue you until I get you and I will put you on my shoulders, Luke 15, 5. We need the righteousness of Christ for our hearts. Romans, I mean, Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, John sees Jesus moving in and out among the churches, scrutinizing their motives. And across his chest, across his heart, is a golden sash not just revealing what is true inside, that his heart is as pure as gold, but reflecting outside before the Lord. My heart is pure for their sakes. We need his robe. He tells that parable of the, of the man who threw the wedding supper and people came and they weren't dressed properly. He threw them out. And then in Revelation, we're told that we're going to appear before God, at a, before Christ at a wedding supper of the Lamb, and only those who are dressed properly will be admitted. What hope is there for us? John looks and sees, and he says, behold, 
The marriage supper of the Lamb is prepared. The bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, the bride is the church. Fine linen is given her to wear. And then in parentheses, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Now, you say, no. You see, Pastor, that undercuts everything that you've been saying. See, you can only be accepted into God's holy presence by the righteous acts that we have done. Well, you missed a very important part of that quote. Fine linen was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Jesus not only gives us the righteousness He earned by, by taking the judgment of God on Himself for our sins, but Jesus gives us His perfect record, having accomplished every act of righteousness prescribed in Scripture. We need His head covering, Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body of the church. Our minds, the Bible tells us, it's not just our hearts that are like filthy rags before Him, our acts and and not just our hearts that are beyond scrutiny, it's our, our minds are futile in their thinking. We don't think properly about the world. We don't think properly about others. We don't think properly even about ourselves. But Christ is our head. Christ is our face. Christ bears on His brow a golden plate that says, holy to the Lord, when God looks on us, he sees Christ's face in our stead. And in the hidden places of our hearts, the Bible says our consciences are evil. Every motive of our heart is twisted. For Christ, in, Revel in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, must take out our heart and replace it with his. Give us a true heart, sprinkled clean, that we might worship Him. It is incidentally in that same context, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, Don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near. You, 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 you have to be reminded by gathering together, gathering in worship, it's only in that way that Christ reminds us that He is our total equipment, that we are that we're shielded in the armor of God. In the body of Christ, we realize that the hidden most parts of our hearts, our head, our chests, our torsos, our shoulders are covered by the righteous record and activity of Jesus. Our amazing uh, communications department at the last minute answered a request for me to put this, this poem in your bulletin by George Herbert. You see it to the right of your, of your outline. George Herbert was a 17th century poet, lived, lived until 1633. And, he had that, uh, not only that uh, Puritan dedication to personal holiness, he was very raw in his poetry, very vivid in communicating his own sinfulness as a priest, as a, as a pastor. 
And as he's thinking about Aaron's garments, he thinks this is, this is the definition, this is the personification of holiness. And then he looks at himself and he sees his moral bankruptcy. And then he looks to Christ and he sees what is needed. And then he responds with readiness to obey in reflection of that grace. With that orientation, I want you to listen to this poem by George Herbert about Aaron. Holiness on the head, light and perfection on the breast, harmonious bells below raising the dead to lead them unto life and rest. Thus are true Aaron's dressed. Profaneness in my head, defects and darkness in my breast, a noise of passions ringing me for dead unto a place where is no rest. Poor priest, thus am I dressed. Only another head I have, another heart and breast, another music making live, not dead, without whom I could have no rest. In Him I am well dressed. Christ is my only head, my alone only heart and breast, my only music striking me even dead that to the old man I may have rest and be in Him new dressed. So holy in my head, perfect and light in my dear breast, my doctrine tuned by Christ who is not dead but lives in me while I do rest. Come, people, Aaron's dressed. If you've seen that you are dressed in inadequate rags to stand before a holy God, the answer is not to try to make yourself acceptable. It'll never work. The answer is to cry out to Him today and mercy, have mercy on me and take away these soiled garments, these morally soiled garments, take them away and dress me from head to toe in the hiddenmost places of my heart with the righteousness of Christ. And even if you have in the past, perhaps like your pastor, you forget it. You must be recalled to the good news of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose righteous record we stand now and will stand in all of eternity. Let's pray together. <clears throat> oh Lord Jesus, we cry out and say, we believe. We believe we can say, arise, my soul, arise and shake off your guilty fears, the bleeding sacrifice on my behalf appears. Refresh us by those five bleeding wounds. Convince us that the once for all sufficient sacrifice has been made by our perfect, exalted, beautiful high priest. For those who have never come to this point, at the, end, at the end of their rope, trying to make it on their own, would this be the day of their salvation? We pray it in the strong name of Christ and for His sake. And God's people said together, Amen.